0: Hello, creeps. Welcome to the Horror Vanguard. I'll be your ghost. I mean, host, for today's exciting tale of terror Jennifer's Body, or Astrology, Patriarchy, and Demons with Season of the Bitch. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Horror Vanguard, which is coming out
1: whenever you're hearing it right now. How's it going, John? What's what's new with you? Uh, th- this is that's maybe the best intro segue we've ever done. I am extremely excited about this uh, episode, Ash, um, because for many reasons. Uh, but because I remember when we started doing when we first started doing the show, and we drew up a list of like cool podcasts that we would maybe one day really like to talk to. Uh and it, it's ha- it, it's happening. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, okay. We we have to get I didn't
2: know y'all listen. Yeah. What?
3: Okay, cool. What's up? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we love to be flattered.
4: <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh we are delighted that uh, two of the Coven from Season of the Bitch have joined the HV Crypt. Laura and Zoe, how are you both doing?
2: Oh, the Crypt! I love that. (laughs) Um, Very good. Uh, You know, we'll get to this later, but my Scorpio Moon and Scorpio Rising, of which all (laughs) of us except Zoe have a Scorpio Rising. Wow! The the Crypt, like, soothes my soul. So I'm really freaking excited about that. (laughs) Thanks so much for having us.
3: Yeah, thank you.
0: I fully support being soothed by crips, so that works out for me. <laughs> uh,
1: that is goth as hell. Um, <laughs> before we we jump into talking about the film, there are uh, uh, shockingly there are probably some people listening to this who uh, don't listen to season of the bitch. <laughs> Maybe one or two. How and, and how dare you? Um, <laughs> but would you both would you both uh, mind maybe just talking a little bit about about uh who you are what the show is about and where people can support the great work that you'll do sure
2: uh zoe do you want to go first
3: um sure i feel like you love explaining the podcast but and i don't want to <laughs> take that from you do you want to do it <laughs>
2: No, I feel like that's why I need to relinquish it sometimes, because I'm too in love with this project, that I need someone else to do it so that I don't overwhelm people.
3: Okay, I didn't want to strip you of your passion. Um, I appreciate that. These are the types of conversations you can expect on Season of the Bitch. Um, (laughs) Yeah, we're a leftist feminist podcast. We, uh, I don't know, what about it? Just listen.
4: We don't have, we don't have
2: cis men on the show, and that's kind of what we started with. We've now started allowing some cis men on some of our Patre- Patreon episodes, but generally the thing that makes our podcast unique as a leftist feminist podcast is uh, kind of the identity piece that comes with it. Most of mm-hmm. us are queer, um, or all of us are queer, rather, and um, all of us have like marginalized gender identities. So um Yeah. We, we love to talk about a bunch of stuff. We have a ton of stuff going on with abolition things right now. So if you haven't known where to really start in the conversation in the Black Lives Matter movement, we have a reading group that we started as well as have been kind of cranking out content around the topic of abolition and anti-racism. So, yeah.
3: Amazing. Flawless.
1: <laughs> that I... I I I I really enjoyed that because it's it's sort of reassuring to know that it's not just me and Ash who kind of go uh just listen it's it's good.
2: Hell yeah. Uh,
0: and if you know. want to um ice that cake really quickly by letting our listeners know where they can give you money. <laughs>
3: Oh, totally. You can go to patreon.com slash season of the bitch. Um, you can also follow the Twitter at season of the B or Instagram at season of the B. And yeah, that's mostly it. For sure. Or even just Venmo. Yay, marketing.
4: marketing.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yep.
2: <laughs> We're very underemployed. You can, you can, we'll, we'll just DM us. It's fine. I'm <laughs> at socialist willow. <laughs>
1: Um, if you want to find a way to give them money, we'll make it happen.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much. We appreciate your support. This is feminism in practice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but the reason the reason that we um, uh, invited you on the show and, and we are so very glad that you have come by is so that we can talk about um, Karen Kasumas and Diablo Cody's, Jennifer's body oh! but, <laughs> but, but 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 before as always on hv before we get into into the into the into the discourse into the film analysis into the theory um it is now expected and demanded that we we get maybe what i think is the best thing about our show which is ash it's just going to tell us uh, ash is just going to tell us very very factually very straightforwardly, what is Jennifer's body all about? Lo, it is a gala night within the lonesome latter years. An
0: angel throng, bewinged bedight in veils and drowned in tears. Sit in a theatre to see a play. Rocky Horror at the Bijou next Friday night. <laughs> it's It's great, even if you don't like boxing movies. Our story today, Jennifer's Body, centers around two women, both haunted, both cursed. They are cursed, in fact, before the first demonic invocation is read. Cursed not by magic, but by capitalism and patriarchy. In the words of Silvia Federici, the revival of magical beliefs is possible today because it no longer represents a social threat. We see this made manifest with the misogynistic bonds of the band that initially attack Jennifer. We see this again as Jennifer's demonic rebirth reaffirms the structures and violence that took her life in the first place. Where then do we find our heroics? We find them in a character less a final girl and more a final demon. Only needy escapes that circle that ever returneth into the selfsame spot. A name less indicative of her personal need and more of our collective need for her example. For we are already possessed, already haunted. We are the witches, the wolves, the diabolists, cursed to live a half-life. A panoply of zombies and ghouls, desperate to be rejoined in new monstrous unity. We must go from being the atomized kicked, to the monstrous K-I-C-K-E-R, kicker. Welcome to Mean Girls, but with
1: Demons. (laughs) Yes! amazing oh i love them so much ash i love all of your plot recaps so much <laughs> so
0: yeah how about that karen kazuma
1: huh everybody remembers uh
0: the episode forgiving relentless unconditional from chicago fire
1: <laughs> i i am an unabashed uh karen kazuma uh fan and i love this movie so much um but where sh- where should we start with this, Lauren? Zoe, where should we begin?
2: Oh, I don't know. How do you normally begin? <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, exactly as we're beginning right now.
2: <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, I mean, so when we when we were first kind of invited by y'all to do this, a like we were of course really excited about that because of how iconic this movie is, um, but. I like need y'all to know very upfront that I don't have a background in like film analysis by any sense. So, uh, you know, this is going to be some more like of my personal reflections, but it's not like grounded (laughs) in like the academia that probably surrounds these conversations that you have.
4: Laura, you're one of
2: the
3: smartest people I know. Cut that out. Cut that out. (laughs) Wow. Thank you.
0: Yeah. a formal a formal indoctrination in the processes of academia is not required for good film takes in fact is a hindrance in developing them so i think it <laughs> would be absolutely
2: right. okay cool well i mean like even like knowing the the name of the director right off the bat like is a thing right like you y'all like knew that so i'm just like i, I don't know i don't know where to go from where you guys started i guess <laughs>
0: Well, I think um, I think one of the one of like the, the first things that I, I think I always at least want to talk about, like I've seen Jennifer's Body like I watched it twice today already. <laughs> like I love this movie to death. It's like it, it's, it's up there with Ginger Snaps and like my favorite, mm. uh, I guess, like feminist explorations of horror.
3: Mm, Ginger Snaps also very good.
0: So it's so good. Uh, all three of the Ginger Snaps movies are just like flawless. Uh, even even the weird the weird sequels. Um, but with Jennifer's body, I think one of the things that's really interesting is how the film was marketed, you know, when this, when this movie, um, was being made, right. Both Diablo Cody or Diablo Cody wanted to make and did make a a feminist movie, a movie made for, uh, women and younger girls that kind of explore just what it's like to, to live in American society as a young woman, as a girl. And like, but marketing, the, the kind of studio execs who are in charge of what goes on in the movie posters, they, they saw Megan Fox and they were like, you know who's going to like this movie? Horny Teenage Boys.
2: <laughs> yeah, classic.
0: Yeah. And so you can like all of them, if you go back and watch the early trailers for this movie and look at the posters, they're all very clearly like tilted in towards like the male gaze and the wants of, of patriarchal forces.
3: Yeah, totally. For sure. Um yeah, when the movie came out, I was like looking into this today. So, it had like a 44% on Rotten Tomatoes, yeah.
4: which
3: kind of sucks, obviously. And like a 34% audience rating, but right because the assumed audience is always like straight cis white dudes. Um and you know, sometimes they don't appreciate good art in fact. well why would they they haven't experienced life but um, there's been a lot of like resurgence of this movie especially around the time of the me too movement because people saw mm -hmm. a lot of similar themes in like this band is using like a their position of power and also they're using jennifer to like advance their own professional careers um Yeah, there's like so many think pieces about this that I like ended up going down a rabbit hole and then was like, I need to dig myself back out of this hole that I don't want to be in. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, I think that that's really interesting. And it's, you know, seen, I feel like now a lot more as in the like rape revenge category, which it is. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And it obviously does better in that than as the original marketed, like it's a hot film for boys. (laughs) <laughs> yeah which i feel like the the amazing thing about having
2: having karen Kas- how do we pronounce her last name
1: uh, karen, karen kasuma, uh, kasuma as far as i know as okay, far as cool. i know
2: um so having karen kasuma as the director and seeing specifically how she handles things like the gay tension between needy and jennifer yeah Um, I think that there's so much there, um, that clearly was not made by a man, but it's funny how you can have a director who's being intentional and making intentional choices about that, but the marketing and, uh, what goes into it could still be created by, uh, men who will, Mm -hmm. you know, assume that this is what everyone wants. Is it being, uh, marketed to them in this way however they you know weren't able to see outside of themselves and know how quickly that would would flop
4: yeah
1: yeah there's, there's a story that um Karen Consumer says about tells about um getting an email back from like the marketing or execs at the production company uh when you know she had sent a kind of slightly concerned email uh mm-hmm. because a lot of the publicity didn't seem to really feature needy and it was like Do they not? Mm -hmm. Do they not know that this is there? There are two (laughs) characters in this, and uh, she says like she got like a one line email back, which was basically like, "Oh, Megan, sexy, Megan, steal your boyfriend, more Megan," and that was it. And there is there is at the time there was a there was a guy called Brad who worked at Fox (laughs) in two thousand and nine who is now like a venture capitalist bro at some, at some firm called like Synergy Global Solutions. And he makes like $600,000 a year. And his job was to ruin people's lives and to make, make make this film get the kind of critical response that it did. And wherever you are, Brad, fuck you. (laughs) Fuck you, Brad. (laughs) (laughs) It's a it's a good movie. It's a good movie. And it should have it it deserved it deserved uh the respect that it's getting now when it first came out.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And like I think we like I the the last thing I'll say about this is we see some like interesting flaws in how like review aggregators work, things like Rotten Tomatoes.
4: Mm.
0: Like like Rotten Tomatoes scores are are really trapped in the moment they're created and it's hard to dig them out of that so this is going to be stuck at a 44 percent forever even if popular opinion of this movie has completely shifted since it first came out
3: when i wrote down those numbers next to it in caps i wrote this is a crime
0: <laughs> and it totally is because there are dc superhero movies with higher percent scores than that and that Wrong. is that is an affront to to God, nature, and everything.
3: <laughs> yeah, but like that's how the canon of art always is. Is like as, with cis white dudes as the assumed audience. Like everything that isn't actually for them doesn't fare well.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and, th- and things that aren't for them are are forced into into that framework. Like this this movie was tried to they tried to shoehorn it into that discourse anyway, even though it's not a part of it
1: in a way that's, that that just treated particularly Megan Fox in a really horrible way. Um, again, a little behind-the-scenes thing. We, we set up a little shared doc so that we could all share notes on things that we wanted to talk about. Uh, and uh, somebody just put on the doc, I'm not sure who it was, Megan Fox Appreciation Hour. So I declare the Megan Fox Appreciation Hour Now open.
4: Oh, yay.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, (laughs) I think what I really like about this film is that it takes like the really common uh horror tropes of like predatory men and flips it on its head um and particularly when we have things like the very gruesome death of the football player in the woods um once they discover his body and they're talking about who could have um killed him they were like we'll get him we're gonna get this guy like everyone was talking about the predator as though uh she was a man so it it, i loved even just that in and of itself too.
3: Yeah. Laura and I were watching together and got a big, a big kick out of that. (laughs) (laughs) No women murderers, obviously.
4: (laughs) Yeah.
0: I I, I do really appreciate like that. the, The fact that this movie is so through and through what it's trying to be, you know, that we, that we even get like the, the only, um, you know, like, like you know, there's there, there's some more complicated discourse about the friendship between Needy and Jennifer and the whole, like, depiction of women fighting women in media. But, like, outside of, you know, like, women committing, to viol- committing violence against other women, all we really get is the final closing fight scene between Needy and Jennifer. And even that, like, it's less about the violence they're doing to each other and more about, like, the resolution of Needy's character arc and their friendship. Totally.
2: Yeah, I don't see them as in conflict with one another, really. I think even even when Jennifer is a demon, Needy's like, "Fuck, I still love you." Sorry, can we swear on this podcast? Okay,
1: for sure. yeah, oh yeah, (laughs) we are a pro cursing podcast. We we have have season of the totally, but bitches allowed on like
2: cable TV, (laughs) I guess. But like, you know.
3: Yeah, but no, our guests always ask us if they can curse and we're like, you're on season of the bitch. Sure. <laughs> our, our clean rating was over before it started.
0: Nice.
3: Um, but yeah, should we... I feel like Megan Fox Appreciation Hour oh, yeah. got cut short.
0: Yes, we should, we should revisit the greatest living oh, yeah. actress. So she's
2: obviously a bi-icon bi- or a bi-con, you know, for those make, keep, keeping keeping track at home. <laughs> and we will forever stand, you know, although she's a Gemini. We'll get into that a little bit later, uh, John, looking at you, but, you know, it's fine.
3: Um, <laughs> okay, yeah, but, like, Geminis are notably, like, chaotically horny. And I say this lovingly because, like, Sag which is what I am, and Gemini are sister signs, and this is, like, one of our similarities. Um, but that, like, adds up. And also, my theory for Jennifer's chart specifically is that Megan Fox is a Gemini, but when she's turned into a demon, she's a Satch.
2: Mm, and I love... I cosign, sign Co-sign.
3: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes, Laura and I were watching this movie and texting about what we think all of their charts are. Exactly. <laughs> As we must.
1: Now that now that is some some deep lore and like uh, arcane film film analysis knowledge that I don't think Ash or I could kind of you know that's that's way out of my league. Oh yeah, that, that's so far above my pay grade. I'm not even going to try.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know we we love a heuristic device that wasn't designed by men. So that's why I use astrology for most things. <laughs>
0: and I mean like to 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 be honest like it's infinitely more valid than like I don't know like the entire field of economics so totally well
2: here's the thing right Mm -hmm. like if people ask me like do you believe in astrology I'm like what do you mean when you say that because like for me what I believe in is that sometimes having tools to analyze ourselves is extremely helpful and this is just one tool that I have found useful in like self-reflection and also understanding others so I think people take it too seriously when they're skeptical of it I will say um and you know if we're gonna be talking about like um you know all of the things that kind of come into this movie with the occult, like, you know, we got to bring in astrology too.
3: Well, I think we're going to get fully into our astrology corner at the absolutely.
1: End. <laughs> I'm, I'm so excited.
4: We, we, we spent
3: do. hours on that part. Just ready. Just <laughs> letting you know. we Laura and I have a separate doc about both of your charts. Yes. Okay.
0: Sweet. It's
2: going to be delightful. <laughs> Trust me. We will be nice. We promise
3: we come prepared though yeah yeah absolutely
1: <laughs> i feel like i'm gonna learn quite a lot about both myself and ash at the end of this podcast absolutely, absolutely. I'm and
2: really you two have quite us. a lot of overlap actually in ways that were really interesting to me so we can talk about that too
3: amazing but yeah well we'll get to that yeah <laughs>
0: fun uh fun fun fact for hv listeners um uh, previous guest of the show rachel ann jolie was the first person to do my astrology chart mm. so uh, a little a little lore for everyone listening at home
3: we love rachel yeah. yeah we've also had her on a couple times
0: yeah absolutely brilliant
3: and you and rachel are both aquarius sun pisces moons fun fact oh sweet. and my brother <laughs> yes and laura's brother yes
0: Look at that. Potentially all of the cool people and or all of the people with some other descriptor that pertains (laughs) to these two factors.
2: Um, I would like to describe it as a brilliant, chaotic emotion um, is what I would say an Aquarius sun with a Pisces moon is.
1: Yeah, sure. I'll take (laughs) (laughs) that. I'm just saying here thinking, yeah, they got (laughs) you.
2: You don't even know yet. But anyway, back t- yeah, back to the teaser. Back to the 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 task. Yeah, back out. back
0: to back to this classic movie, Jennifer's Astrology. Yeah, Jennifer's Astrology. This is now I mean, the Astrology yes. Vanguard Podcast. Yes. Um, yeah, I just I you know every time people talk about Megan Fox's career, they talk about her appearance in the Transformers movies, which yeah. sure, of course, gigantic franchise films that's going to get a lot of attention. But nobody talks about like. Anything else She's ever been in like yeah. like no one talks it besides the TMT movies, but like no one's talking about like Jonah Hex and horror and like above mm-hmm. the shadows, like all these other mm-hmm. weird um, Megan Fox movies. And she's like, she's so good, and this blows my mind that that like her her talent got sucked up into those Transformers movies.
3: It's because I, she is like demonically hot.
0: Oh yeah, sure, <laughs>
3: like that's <too>. unjustly attractive <laughs> for this world. Yeah. Well, and I think, honestly,
2: unfortunately for a lot of hot women, that that to producers overshadows their actual acting talent and also for men who watch movies. Um, it distracts from the task at hand. Um, we do not blame her for her hotness, but it is a factor.
3: No, I love it for her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's perfect in every way. Yeah.
1: And... She's so good in this film.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Like e- easily like one of the best. Um I know she said this about herself that she th- considers herself like a comedy actor. Um and she's really funny. Yeah. yeah. But there's so- there's like there are these like just tiny little moments of like fragility and vulner- like it it all feels like just such a perfectly realized person. Oh my god. That yeah. You get- you know it's like it isn't it's it's not like shtick Mm -hmm. like so many like comedy performances um and I love that like at no point like even though even though some of like the other kind of maybe more marginal characters like J.K. Simmons kind of know they're in like a horror comedy movie like Megan never like winks at the audience right this is all this is all played like so sincerely and she sells it so well it's so good
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I don't want to jump ahead too much, but I feel like the the moment for me that really solidified that was, you know, um, we're going to kind of get into the queer coding between Jennifer and Needy. And for a lot of the beginning of the movie, that feels like it's coming one directionally from Needy, um, mm-hmm. just kind of in the way that she's depicted. Um, and then we have the moment where Needy's, mad at jennifer for being mean to the goth boy um who i'm just gonna always call the goth boy and not really be able to remember his name but i know he has one
0: it's perfectly acceptable yeah (laughs)
2: um but i i think that when we see jennifer's reaction to how needy is defending goth boy i was like oh shit but it's so subtle um, mm. and, and I, that for me was kind of exactly what you are just describing, John, where it's like this, this nuance that she's able to really capture.
1: Uh, def- defend Megan Fox, basically. That's my, <laughs> that, that, that is the HV season of the bitch line.
2: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I consider myself a, a Marxist Foxist <laughs> at, at this point, I think. <laughs>
2: drastic we we love to drastic. see it are we moving into the waterfall hole thing what are we doing yeah
0: yeah okay. let's talk about let's, let's talk about this, this movie's uh, giant magic cosmic <laughs> void that no one okay, can understand yeah. once they enter um i definitely don't think there's a metaphor there at all not.
3: <laughs> <laughs> first of all it's so underutilized as a plot device like you introduced the beginning of this movie oh this town has a giant gaping like waterfall vagina that goes to nothing (laughs) like everything that goes in it disappears i want you to like throw bodies into that hole or something like i want there to be like a big payoff for that the stakes are so low the stakes are that they throw a thousand balls down it that no one ever finds on the side of the road and then somehow needy finds the knife. And like, yeah, it's poetic that she kills them with the knife that like killed Jennifer, but you find a knife on the side of the road and you know, it's the same knife. Like how? Right. I don't know. I just think there needs to be justice for the giant waterfall hole. She deserved a better plot. <laughs> Absolutely. <The> underutilized <laughs> is a great way of describing
4: yeah. it.
0: Yeah, I know that I know the um the special effects team wanted a lot more shots of the waterfall and a lot more complicated. Uh,
3: yeah, like it doesn't really end up doing anything,
0: but. No, no, and it's, it's, it's because they had such a hard time with the special effects, like the special effects team worked like crazy to pull off what they had. And like like they they originally had plans for like panning shots and tilting shots and a lot of like like more use of it, but like getting the water special effects to work and look good for that. Uh, It was was way too hard, and water is, like, notoriously one of the hardest things to make look good using CG.
3: Yeah, but in that case, like, that part could totally be taken out of the movie, and nothing really changes for the plot. Right, it could have
2: been a hole in the woods or something, right? Like... It didn't need to be that. And I mean, I think this trope is also used a lot, right? Um, it was used in Buffy, uh, you know, with the Hellmouth and also like other subplots within the larger, you know, uh series. But I feel like I feel like it's just like one of those things that helps fill plot holes or like writers think it fills plot holes, but sometimes it creates more confusion. Mm than not
0: yeah yeah i think like i i i I like the symbology of what's going on it it is a gigantic like cosmic monstrous vagina that this whole the the movie centers around
3: which is why it should be more powerful
0: oh no totally totally (laughs) (laughs)
3: like which is why i want them to like throw bodies into it or something
0: I do really like that Needy recovers the knife at the end. I think in in terms of. But she could have
3: also just gone to the woods and like found the knife. Like that's why the hole just doesn't feel that useful. The
0: knife was next to one of the balls though. That's Mm -hmm. how we know it's the knife.
3: Yeah, totally, which is why I don't understand why no one saw thousands of red balls, balls on the side of the road sooner.
0: Right there, there's, there's like this like uh, a prison slash asylum that's so 50 true. miles away and their yard is just flooded with all these like
1: playground balls <laughs> no, and they don't know why.
3: And people are just like, things go into yeah. the hole and never come maybe out. Maybe <laughs>
1: they've been doing this for so long, like all of the people who live 50 miles away where it kind of resurfaces, they're like, ah, it must be September. The bulls have returned from the fountain. <laughs> you know they just think it's like a natural (laughs) phenomena which is why nobody comments on it anymore because it's been happening for so long scientists have just been i mean a great a great damning indictment of the scientific method as well what should we do i don't understand this thing i know let's just chuck balls into it and see and see what happens
2: (laughs) 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 well yeah for sure i mean i think not to bring it back to buffy again but even like in uh the world that they're in uh anytime a creature shows up everyone's just yeah. like mm, live on the hell mouth <laughs> like i don't know it's it, oh we haven't seen this creature before no problem came out of the hell mouth like doesn't need to like have its own yeah. unique situation yeah, stuff is yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> any any final thoughts on the uh definitely not symbolic uh vortex that confuses men? Yeah, there is there is no metaphor <laughs> happening <to> there.
4: <that.
2: laughs> Wait, can we can we also just take a moment to talk about the myth of of the virgin, right? Like just oh, yeah, totally. the virgin trope and like also how that's used a lot in horror mm-hmm. um and it also being turned on its head in this one too, because she wasn't a virgin, which like uh dear listeners, please remember that being a virgin is a fake concept that doesn't actually exist and it's used to punish girls and women on all ac- accounts. So please just like remember and know this if you don't already.
4: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: I actually actually think that that mirrors the vortex the 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 like uh, water water vortex really well because you get that like the scene where the scientists are like throwing like just playground balls into the vortex. they're like dressed up in like these like science suits, sure. and it's all very official, but it's so ridiculous because the idea is like, I don't know, let's throw something in it and see what happens. And that like mirrors all of the fake science where it's like, oh, we will use science to determine if she's still a virgin. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah.
3: Yeah, totally.
0: This has been good. This has been really good. Uh, uh, playground ball vortex discourse. <laughs> I think this is this has been the best conversation we've ever
4: had.
1: Totally. Well, given that we've been talking about the the fountain and the knife, I think we should talk about um, Adam Levine uh, and his backup singers. Uh, I'm referring Adam to him as Adam Levine. Adam Brody. Sorry. <laughs> I was like, it? Adam Levine oh. Was <laughs>
4: <laughs> it's like, oh my god.
1: Uh, but also,
2: is Adam Levine from Maroon yes. 5?
4: The oh my god. Okay, one, so the
3: like super tattooed one,
2: he's he's the one that sings, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yep. Yo, he did this weird cover of a song in Frozen 2. And it is truly insane. Everyone needs to go listen to it. His vocals are so ridiculous. You cannot I like cry of laughter every single time Wait. I hear it. So the was it the like credits re
3: like remix one or is yes it it's, in the it. cre- okay. it's the
2: credits okay, remix one yeah so it's not in the actual movie but right when the movie ends you just like hear his voice or it's like Brandon Yuri. I don't know the difference between okay before the two, but you but, told but, me it was Brandon Yuri, and I was
3: really excited I'm less excited for Adam Levine but I can't, I can't <laughs> tell exactly
2: who it is to be clear it's like some boy pop vibes emo thinks they're not normie but are normie people you know
3: but yeah on adam brody i do have a theory about adam brody and here it is yeah um yes oh i just remembered (laughs) Laura already (laughs) knows all my hot theories no but okay so adam brody is in gilmore girls as like a nerdy like as a nerdy (laughs) musician that dates one of the main characters lane and he leaves like he goes to college and they break up and my theory is that this exists in the same universe where he went to college, he fell apart oh without lane, yes. he becomes a fucking goth rapist, and here he is. Uh
1: yes, yes, canon. I did yes. Have you 100%. seen Gilmore Girls? Yeah. Uh yes, I have. Yes, okay. I have seen Gilmore. Girls. Amazing.
3: It adds up. The universes line up perfectly. And like the timeline, too. I... The timeline lines up so well.
1: Yeah. It, it, that completely makes sense.
3: Uh, that completely yes. makes sense. <laughs> Amazing. So, yeah.
1: Um, yes, let's let's talk about this. Let's talk about this shitty indie band who are desperate to have one of their songs used in a commercial um, because I think it's just, like, it's such a good... There are two things about it which I think are really, really good. One, it's, like, uh, even in 2009, like, indie bands were sort of irrelevant because they admit in the film... That really like the only way that you can, you can kind of get famous now is, um, get on Letterman, into get on David Letterman. Wow, great job! Or, <laughs> or you have you have one of your songs released in a commercial, and seeing as those two options are out of reach, what they 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 decide to uh, try and do an occult sacrifice to Satan, and it's like, yeah, even in two thousand and nine, this kind of like indie this kind of indie band we already knew that they were a little bit sketchy that they were kind of this is why this is why i mixed him up with adam levine because it's like yep they've got the same kind of energy i don't don't ask me to justify that i don't know if i can
3: no totally <laughs> but if, yeah
1: <laughs> but in my head that makes sense
3: yeah well so the um the nightclub fire was like, is based off an actual event that happened. So in Rhode Island in 2003, this band, what were they called? Great White, their tour manager, yeah. like set the venue on fire to try to like further their careers. Um, and like a hundred people died, including their guitarist. And he was on trial and oh my God, I don't have it pulled up. But earlier I read the statement that he made when he was on trial, which was the most absolutely ridiculous thing he was just like yeah I don't really want to traumatize people more by talking about it but just like I'm sorry like I know that that was bad
0: <laughs> ouch
3: damn yeah Um. so while that this is based on a thing that a band actually tried to do uh,
1: yeah and that response of um, yeah can you not bring up the fact that I'm a murdering piece of shit that's yeah <laughs> <laughs> It's incredibly problematic for me to hear
0: how I murdered hundreds of people, so please don't talk about. Yeah, that. <laughs> literally.
1: <laughs> uh, and I also love, I also love the the fact that they make themselves out to be heroes by doing a charity single where they give away three percent mm. of the profits. Oh, <laughs> oh uh, yeah. Like, yeah, yes, Dra- drag them all, Diablo Cody. <laughs> yeah,
2: I will say, um, there's definitely. Uh, a bit of a content warning I would say because um particularly the Aiden Brody vibes right after the fire where he's like drinking and like you see him kind of like shoving his drink into Jennifer's mouth Mm -hmm. she's very disoriented from the fire um and he's like we need to get into my van it's a place of comfort like all this stuff um and I just think, like, people should also know that going into it, that there, that there is a lot of these perversions of these tropes, but then there's also some that still, like, really hit home and are uh, not far off from reality at all.
3: Yeah, he's absolutely terrifying. And, like, the, no, the worst moment is when Nadie's, like, looking at them close the van door and he just, like, looks at Nadie and, like, <laughs> shrugs
4: yeah Mm -hmm. oh yeah
3: yeah
0: yeah that's definitely the darkest and probably the most legitimately scariest the movie gets is is the kind of like the post fire sequence yeah
3: that is definitely like Mm -hmm. the worst part um
2: yeah that and the first time when you see jennifer after uh her transformation that whole thing when she's in Yugi's house is so freaky
3: to me. Yeah, mm-hmm. no the the black the black oh spiky God, yeah. vomit really sticks with you as a visual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: that's that's just a sentence. That's yeah. I mean, as it would.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. But so speaking of that scene, I I think that Jennifer is a demon the whole time, and here's why. One, (laughs) in the beginning, when she comes over to Needy's, she like shoves her, which is what they have her do when she comes over in the scene after the fire to show like she's bad now. She already treat like she already did that. And when they're holding hands in the club and they release, you can see these like white marks on her hand from holding hands, which is like, Mm. ooh, spooky. And just like the way she already looks so possessed when she's getting into the van. So I think that she was already a demon because if they wanted us to believe that this really changed her, her behavior would be different. But her behavior's not really different. She's the same. She just started eating boys, which I think that like that <laughs> is the revenge part. But like her being a demon was there all along.
0: Yeah, I think that's I think that's a really interesting uh, way to read her character, you know, like the fact that really legitimately what changes about her when she becomes a demon is especially in, in regards to her friendship with Needy. You know, so so little about Jennifer actually changes when she becomes a demon. It's got like mm-hmm. like I mean, like I think it's really it's really almost telling in a way that Amanda Seafried yeah. is in this and she's yeah. from Mean Girls. Yeah. Right. And, and this is this is Mean Girls with Demons.
2: It's so funny that you say Amanda Seyfried was in Mean Girls because of course she was, but I think of her as in Mama Mia now. So I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just like, she's moved on. She's, she is a singer. She I is mean, a goddess. She's ready to do stuff.
3: I was going to say, speaking oh, of amazing no. actresses, like Amanda has the range.
4: Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. Oh, so yeah. much talent. Amazing yeah.
3: range.
1: Well, we have been we have been kind of circling around the central relationship of this film, Mm -hmm. which is between Jennifer and Needy. And maybe maybe we can talk a little bit about that. We can talk about what we think about it, the ways in which, um, as you said, it kind of takes on some of the classic tropes of horror and subverts them and does interesting things with them. Um, What does everybody think?
2: Oh, okay, well, first of all, we need to tell you that Zoe and I have assigned ourselves to these characters <laughs> <laughs> in a very clear way um and I am needy and she is Jennifer as you may have predicted um and so we 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 heavily identified with this like chaotic energy yeah mm-hmm. uh, I think it's fun to see friendships that aren't that simple, right um. I mean obviously in this case I would tell Needy to never be friends with Jennifer or her boyfriend ever again
3: Yeah, uh, and I are an adapted abusive. version of this friendship <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we,
2: are, we, are, we are Jennifer post therapy uh, relationship but um, as like a queer woman I would just like to talk more a little bit about uh, like the tension the mm. specific tensions between them in a, in a queer sense Um so for me, I can always tell when a movie is directed by a woman and there's woman-loving woman scenes in them. Um, so even queer movies like the color blue or whatever it's called, I can never remember it. Um, that one's directed blue by is a man. And so color. all of the this- Blue is the warmest color. Thank you Got so much. You. Blue is the warmest color was directed by a man and like all of the sex scenes are like so fucking weird. Um, And for me, it was very obvious that the, the tension and how that built up was directed by a woman, because that's how that is how the queer experience is. Um, It's like you kind of secretly pine after people around you and you like make subtle comments and then eventually something like boils over. Um, But, Uh, I do think because all that to say is like, I think there can be a critique of, um, any scene, particularly in horror where there are women kissing other women, uh, that it could be some sort of like het-cis-man fantasy. Um, and it's really important. Like for me, this didn't feel like that. Mm. So, you know, if you haven't seen it, it's like they, they're in Needy's bedroom Needy's really freaked out and like, they're kind of talking to each other and then there's like some tension building and they start kissing. Um, and I think that it was done super well in my opinion. Um, and I also love that for me, like, it's like a, it's like a classic lesbian trope to pine after people, right? Like lesbians are just known for pining forever. And so I kind of thought that the queer, um, the queer way of like reading this is, you know, uh, Needy is pining after Jennifer, but then you start to see those moments, like I mentioned before about uh, Jennifer asking out the goth boy to kind of like make Needy jealous or kind of shut down. Well, you know, we know in in the end it was to murder goth boy uh, because you could read it as like uh, Jennifer did not want Needy to be paying attention to someone other than her.
3: Yeah, totally. No, I, I agree with all of that. The, with the goth boy, okay, like, yeah, there's all this like gay tension, which is very important. Also with the goth boy, I really wanted him to mm-hmm. find out that Jennifer was a demon and be like, holy shit, that's so hot. And then they could, like,
4: <laughs> like, I wanted this
3: goth boy yeah. to be like, I've always dreamed of like a hot demon GF. And yeah. Yeah, I I was that for them. Also, yeah, to clarify the reason why Laura and I have have placed ourselves into the situation as such is because (laughs) I'm clearly most likely to perhaps be taken over by a demon if I haven't already been. And Laura is most likely to be like, (laughs) look, Zoe, I love you so much, but like, I think you might be dead. (laughs) (laughs) That is our name. I'll
4: still kill
2: men for you. It's fine.
4: (laughs)
3: Yeah. Um, absolutely. But yeah. Yeah. Oh, also with yeah, with the tension, the like dual sex scene where it's Jennifer with the goth oh, boy yeah. and needy with her boyfriend. I mean, a lot going on. the Four minutes. A lot sex. going on. <laughs> yes. So there's like they're like weird kit like Blood Sister connection where Needy like knows Jennifer's also having sex, but also mm-hmm. Needy's mm-hmm. boyfriend sucks i hate him so the much worst. but he's the worst character in the entire yes i'm movie. so glad he dies and one of the reasons that he- Ugh, i just want to like chew him up and spit yeah him no laura and i were <laughs> cracking up when like needy starts crying because she's seeing these like visions of jennifer and he's like oh is it because i'm too big <laughs> <laughs> literally go fuck yourself then, sir like no one and then later that. when he's like Needy, you're more to me than someone I made love to for four minutes. I was like, <laughs> one time. Yeah. Uh yeah. Um yeah, he's terrible. When we we did a watch party of this for season of the bitch, and we in, in the chat, like I said something. Like, there was a man on screen, and I was like, good thing he ends up dying. And someone got mad at us for spoilers. <laughs> and laura was like, laura was like, we came here to watch a movie in which all the men die. <laughs> Well, yeah, because
2: also I'm protective of you. This is why I am Needy in this character, because I'm like defensive about anyone who would critique any decision you would make, which was the decision to watch Jennifer's Body. And we advertised it as a movie where cis men get murdered.
3: Yeah. But yeah, I feel like Needy's boyfriend's murder is like, aside from the band, his is the only other one that is like actually well-deserved. Like we learn enough about him to want him to be murdered. Right, exactly. So that was murder hour for and Zoe.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I I would I would subscribe to that podcast.
2: <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah. Like, <laughs> Here's who we're murdering this week, I,
1: I, and here's
0: why. Uh, yeah, I think. Oh my! Is, this is like a lost Black Mirror episode
1: that never needed to get made.
2: <laughs> yeah, for sure.
1: If if I can like. I, I completely agree. And one of the, th- the, the the HV catchphrase there, I completely agree. Um, and one of, the, one of the things that I've been thinking about as you were talking is um, Eve Sedgwick's notion of the homosocial triangle, um, which is the kind of literary idea that relationships between two men are not necessarily driven by homosexual desire, but homosocial desire. And thus, in the closeted and... Uh, misogynistic, patriarchal, heteronormative world of this has to be triangulated through a third point. The desire has to be kind of sublimated and distanced through a third point, which is um, usually a woman. You know, it's the two guys fighting Mm -hmm. over the girl, but really, what are they fighting about? They're fighting over one another. And so this Mm. this is why... And I think this film does something similar, but inverts the kind of gender dynamics at work. So really... The, the the very final scene is not a fight over the boy right because he's useless and we're all glad that he's dead
3: exactly <laughs> <laughs> yes thank you so much
4: but,
1: but it's it's a way of kind of mediating those 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 kind of dynamics of 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 power and desire and friendship and anger that are so kind of brilliantly laid out through the rest of the film mhm yeah
2: yeah absolutely yeah
3: when we start our murder hour podcast you can come on as a guest
2: (laughs) yeah absolutely (laughs) please do um yeah i i want to also just talk about like just kind of the basic take of understanding this demon uh deciding to murder men only um as a feminist thing, um, and like obviously, it's kind of a, a, a stupid feminist trope that people think that all feminists are are like man killers or man haters. Only some um, of which us, which is always only, <laughs> only some of us really <laughs> s- stick to misandry uh, as uh, gospel. But um, you know, I I think that there's something to be said about taking that fear i think that people who don't know anything about feminism have about feminism and just being like yeah this is it (laughs) and i kind of love that like self-commentary i guess
3: yeah
1: ash what do you think
0: (laughs) Oh, man, like, I don't even know where to start <laughs> between murder <laughs> hour and, and everything we've been talking about. Um, but I think we can really complicate a lot of the conversations we're having about Jennifer specifically, right? And I think, I think we can raise a lot of really important uh, uh, points that, that, that kind of like go a little bit deeper using Jennifer's character as like the vehicle for this discussion, Right. Like um, the the scene where Jennifer and Needy make out, right? Like I totally agree. Like it, it's really powerful that this was a scene written and directed by women, right? Because we don't get the same kind of like... Uh, male gaze of the cinema right like if a man directed that shot it would start at at like jennifer's ass and then do like a a circle shot until we're back up to her taking her top off or something
2: yeah totally like
0: like that that, the the scene would have been about them having an erotic experience for our entertainment Mm -hmm. but what that scene is really about is it's about the fact that jennifer's an abuser Mm -hmm. she spent like most of her friendship um With Needy abusing her. Uh And this, this like making out like it's blurring the line between some kind of assault, right? Like Jennifer uses her demonic powers to like break into the room. She's manipulating an emotionally distraught Needy. Uh And then when Needy like realizes like the full context of what's going on and she needs to break, Jennifer starts laughing at her. And Uh like for me, like this is one of the scariest scenes in the movie. You know, it's like, um, totally. Roger Ebert, when when he reviewed this film, made the comment that it's Twilight for boys. And like the only context under which that makes any sense is is the horror of having some kind of demonic creature break into your bedroom like <laughs> at night. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I think like 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 another another place I would go with this is like I don't think Jennifer actually gets any revenge. You know, like Jennifer, Jennifer spends most of her time killing people that honestly don't really deserve it. Yeah, exactly. You know, like the, the all, all we, yeah, all we learn about the jock guy is that he really misses his friend. Yeah. All we learn about the goth kid is that like, he's like your standard goth high school boy where he's trying to be a badass and really tough. But at the end of the day, when he's confronted with like a real demon, he he panics and he loses it completely because he doesn't actually want the thing he wants. And then, like, even even with Needy's boyfriend, like he's a horrible fucking boyfriend, and he really needs to like unpack everything that's going on. But like, it's it's Needy who gets revenge. Mm-hmm. It's Needy who's the one that's able to like, like you know, like in, in kind of like horror cinema, the the traditional reading of the knife is it's the phallic object, right? It, it is the the like object of cathexis for male violence, you know. And this goes all the way back to slashers. It's, it's the penetrative, destructive force. Mm-hmm. And it's not it's not Jennifer that's actually able to wield it. It's Needy, Uh you know, and like and I think like there's a lot of like really great analysis, too, because like what's the first thing we see Needy do with her powers? She beats the shit out of prison guards. You know, and then like she uses it to escape the the penal yes. system and then go destroy these horrible fucking uh, sexist yes. creeps. Yeah,
2: exactly. You
0: know, like I love I love like the needy revenge kind of like frame narrative we get so yeah. much. And I wonder like what's what's everybody's thoughts on all my ramblings.
2: Well, and I also think there was a, a specific decision to make all of the uh, images around her murdering the band be like, as the credits are rolling.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no, totally. I really, I really kind of like that as, mm-hmm. as kind of, I don't, I don't want to use like the modern parlance of like, oh, the post-credit sequence, you got to find <laughs> out what Dr. Strange is going to do with Iron Man. But like, I, I really, really like that. As kind of like, you have to go into this space that people don't usually go into, right? you have to acknowledge the kind of like labor of cinema to get the final reward of like the completed arc of needy's character. Yeah.
3: Yeah. It is really satisfying. Like the first time I watched it the entire time, I was so mad that the band was still alive. Right, (laughs) And then you're like, Oh, okay, perfect. (laughs) So it is a very satisfying ending.
4: You're
0: right. I had the I had this, the first time I saw this, I had the same response. I was like I was like, you I cannot fucking believe this. They're gonna end it yeah. with the band <laughs> still out there being a band in needy in some
1: kind of jail. What the hell yeah. is this?
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I think you're right, Etch, that this is it is a revenge film, but it isn't about Jennifer getting revenge. It's yeah. it's about needy getting revenge. Uh yeah. on 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 targets who are both like clearly bad, like the band, and then uh then there's this much more complex relationship with Jennifer, which is, like, dangerously kind of codependent. And, you know, I think you make some really good points about that um, relationship as well. I mean, Karen Kasuma said that that scene uh, when they're in Needy's bedroom, that I, I, I was reading, like, loads of interviews with her today, and she said, she's like, yeah, they're more than, they're not just BFFs. But that scene is designed. <laughs> that scene is designed to be scary, because mm-hmm. you, you're you're very very close to someone who has a great deal of power and a power that you don't know how they're going to use. Right. So there's a there is a kind of real tension to it.
3: Yeah, I mean, reframing it as Needy's revenge film makes me even more annoyed that she wasn't in the marketing for it at
4: all. Right?
2: Also, she's she's not able to escape Jennifer, right? In the sense that yeah. what the like the fact that she survived the demon bite, um and is imbued with the same thing that kind of um took over Jennifer, uh like she she's carrying that with her on as well. So it's interesting that like that tie still doesn't get broken even in Jennifer's death. Yeah.
0: Ooh, I really like that. I really like that reading. Because there's like, there's like almost something romantic about that too, because it's like a heel, you get like the better needy at the end of it. You know, like needy, needy is healed. She's who she needs to be.
2: Absolutely. Despite, despite, despite her
0: contact with Jennifer. I really like that. Thank you for that.
2: Oh, you're welcome. Here to, here to gay up this whole
4: thing. You know? <laughs> Amazing. Amazing.
1: Um, there was one thing that you said, Ash, where you were talking about needy at the end. Um, like the role of the demonic in kind of liberation, I think is really interesting. You know, it's those demonic powers that help her break out of this carceral space that she's thrown into. It's those demonic powers that allow her to get uh, revenge on these abusive creeps. Um, what do you think about the demonic in this film? Everyone.
0: I think, I think it's really interesting, right? Because like, it's, it's, we're we're led to believe anyway, it's either the same demon or the same style of demonic power that's fueling both of our main characters. But I think like, like for me, like the kind of demonic energy in, in this movie and how they're kind of portraying this force, it's like inexorably woven into how we talk about patriarchal violence, right? Like, like the demonic energy or force or the demon or whatever, it's never really clear about what it is, I guess, but like, It starts with the band sacrificing Jennifer, right? This is this is the band trying to have like the most trite material gain imaginable. You know, like they they, what do they get at the end? They get popularity, cocaine, and Skittles. Like that's their reward for Yeah, and and getting murdered. (laughs) I guess that's their ultimate reward. I mean, for a goth
3: boy, isn't it the ultimate reward?
0: you know i mean like i was thinking about what you said about him being into it and i like wouldn't it have been totally amazing if like jennifer bites his arm off and he's like oh fuck yeah this is so metal and, like, no, like yeah. i
3: kind of wanted goth boy and jennifer to get into some like demon play be fun
0: Ooh, yeah that would see that would have been so much better <laughs> I'm, I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure there's a variation of that somewhere online
3: <laughs> i i'll look that up i'll let you know
0: <laughs> to A 3 frantic typing in the background <laughs> But no, no. I think like um, as far, as far as like the demonic goes, like h- how does Jennifer use her demonic possession? Right? You know, like or is she even in, in control of it? Because she uses it in in a patriarchal kind of way, right? Like she she's doing sexual violence, right? She's she's using unilateral violence against people. Whereas like needy, with the same power, is is using it for revenge. She's using it to reestablish equality. So I almost see this as like a. um like like a, a like more demon drone pilots kind of a thing, right? where like you get like Jennifer who's doing like this cool girl feminism where you know she's still like really sexually violent and really play, playing into a lot of like these patriarchal themes. but then you get needy, who's like completely rejecting them and going for this kind of like uh, almost like revolutionary justice framework using that same power.
4: Yeah, mm-hmm. thoughts. yeah. <laughs>
1: This is what Big. always happens whenever Ash has a particularly good take. You just have to go, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Damn it, he's right again. <laughs>
3: Big Aquarius energy, which he loves. <laughs> <as an Aquarius>. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah.
0: So 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 far today, I've learned that Aquariuses are emotionally brilliant and usually correct. So I'll no say.
2: no 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 no. Emotionally is yeah. the Pisces part, and I said, mm. I said chaotic no brilliant and chaotically emotional
0: i i hear i hear brilliant i'm okay with this uh, everything else is trading away in
2: the back
4: exact <laughs> <energy. laughs> yeah exactly
2: why take the time yeah. to to think about it anyway speaking of astrology maybe we should go into some occult
1: I uh, yeah, yeah let's do let's it do let's, do, let's do,
2: it. do it okay cool so yeah, I mean my favorite theme is like the the skinny white boys tried to deal with the cult stuff and then they fucked everything up. So <laughs> you know, I feel like maybe it's not just not meant for men.
1: Uh no.
4: <laughs> yeah.
0: Right, there's there's this total like I love I love the line where the one guy's like, Ah, I found it online. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, like there's no there's no understanding of like, okay, like they're doing demonology, so they're probably working with either some like Golden Dawn stuff, or is or is this like some old school like lesser key of Solomon? Like there's no there's no understanding of, of kind of any of the history of what they're engaged with. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just like, uh, like this, this was like the first Google suggested results for like how to, how to sacrifice a virgin or something.
2: And I want to say that I feel like, again, in defense of Zoe, that it gives goths a bad name. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Because you're welcome. Because like, yo, most, and also in defense of Layla Taylor, who we love.
4: Mm -hmm. Oh, hell yeah.
2: Um, like, I I just feel like you know these boys are so stupid. It just like <laughs> we're not surprised cuz they're boys, but we are surprised because they're goth boys. <sighs> yeah,
3: we expect we expect. But they're
0: that. like they're that worst.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. They're, they're like the worst kind of goth too. Like yeah. they're that Fallout boy kind yeah. of saccharine good Charlotte thing.
2: Okay, but also Whomst Among Us does not love a little Lifestyles of the rich and the famous.
1: <laughs> I was like the second I saw Good Charlotte, like the the great, yeah. the great revolutionary leftist anthem that is
2: That's right. Yeah,
3: that's it, it really <laughs> <is laughs> fucking right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean like that is that is my favorite uh, Leninist song, I do agree. <laughs> um my 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 favorite my favorite joke in my favorite joke in this whole film actually is when Needy tries to tell her useless boyfriend that um, Jennifer's, <laughs> and she goes, "Um, I, she, she's been she's- doing research in the in the occult section of the library," and he just goes, "A library has an <laughs> occult section?" And she goes, "Yeah, it's really small." And I'm like, yes. "Of it is." <laughs> of
3: yes, exactly. Yeah, I do want to
2: say really quickly um that you know white people in particular who are interested in the occult at all need to have a racial understanding and a racial lens with, with which to view their practices. Um, Like, please make sure if you if you are interested in, you know, practicing any type of occult thing, not to co-opt lineage, lineages of witchcraft that do not belong to you. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not to say like there is tons of occult stuff from every part of the world. So there's many opportunities for you to practice this without being offensive.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I, I do want to add to that, though, that like. Even it, like like decolonizing your like occult practices mm-hmm. like goes way beyond kind of like like re- reverting back to like some kind of like ethno witchcraft thing because even like even Wicca even like uh, like Rosicrucianism or like other like medieval uh, uh, forms of the occult like the, these are inextricable from colonialism right these are foundationally built on like pilfered like religious concepts. You know, like, like Wicca, Wicca is, is bad religion into the Middle Ages stapled on to like Alistair Crowley, Crowley's ceremonial magic, which is like, which grows directly out of Egyptomania. So like, yeah, like de- decolonize every part of your life, but like totally recognize how complicated that task is when you do it. It's not super simple. For sure. An excellent
1: PSA.
3: Yes, yeah, I was trying to agree <laughs> with you, but my pop filter fell off again. Mm. <laughs> so I muted myself. Um, I was agreeing.
1: Yes. Oh no! The yeah. agreement filter.
3: Um. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. Let's do some astrology. Yes. So, okay. should we start with Ash or John? Ash. We'll just okay. do it how we have it in the doc.
2: <laughs> I mean, we just did it that way. Um. I'm just like I don't feel like going down and then coming back up on the doc. It's fine. Oh, okay. Let's go. Um. Let's so go. Ash. Uh, you, as you I'm sure know, are an Aquarius sun, you have a Pisces moon and a Scorpio rising, um, which are what we call in astrology, the big three. Um, we'll get into a little bit more about what that means, but I wanted to do some things that were kind of like talking about your chart as a whole, uh, which I find to be really useful. So what I mean by that is when I pull up your chart and it's in that circle format, um, I'm kind of looking for patterns uh, for anything that is notable. And what's really notable for your chart is you have a completely nocturnal chart. Um, and so what that means is all of your placements are below the midline on the circle chart format. Um, I've literally never seen this before in my entire life. Um, I have. Laura,
3: that's like the nicest thing you can say to an Aquarius is like. Wow, the most unique thing I've ever seen. I know. Well, so I also have a nocturnal chart uh,
2: because anyone who is born in the evening does. Um, but, you know, many people still have multiple planets uh, above that ACDC line uh, or ascendant and descendant line. And yours has literally all of your pl- planets in the bottom of your chart, which essentially means that for you, You might come across to people as very hidden, secretive, dark, or you feel like no one understands you uh, in a big way, or maybe you don't (laughs) even understand yourself because the nocturnal uh, like kind of references a dark, obscuring uh, uh, sense. So I just thought that that was notable before we kind of dive into more of the individual things that you have an entirely nocturnal chart.
0: I mean, I'm I'm happy. This is this is ultra goth, so I'll take it. <laughs> uh, astrology
1: is science confirmed. <laughs> yeah,
3: exactly. I knew. Yeah, when Laura sent me, like, yeah, his chart's entirely nocturnal. I was like, oh, he's gonna like that too much.
0: Oh uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: yeah, absolutely.
2: Um, so do we want to go into the top three, Zoe? Yeah.
3: Um what did you want like how into this are we going i was just gonna
2: kind of break down (laughs) what those were but do you do you want me to do it do you want to do it i was just gonna break down what the three
3: yeah you do that because i know that ash wants me to talk about his alternative spooky chart
2: okay perfect so
3: you can do you can do the regular
2: one (laughs) okay so perfect Ash's sun is in Aquarius. So for those that don't know, your sun sign is generally the sign that you already know. Um, it's, it's representative of your ego and it's like kind of your basic identity. So ashes is in Aquarius. Um, Aquarians are notorious for being like the social justice warriors of the astrological chart. Um, you know, notable Aquarians are like Angela Davis.
3: Angela Davis is a double Aquarian.
2: Yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of the people we raise up in history who have been at the forefront of civil rights movements and social justice movements have heavy Aquarius placements. So you love to see yeah. it on the left. You love to see people like that on, on our team. Uh. Then your moon, which, uh, again, so the moon is controls your mood, your emotions, uh, your deepest feelings and how you think when you're like in the deepest sense of comfortability. So your moon is in Pisces, um, which water moon sign solidarity. My moon is in Scorpio, um, so there's, there is a specific dynamic between the sun in Aquarius and moon in Pisces. And this astrological combination points to a rather delicate and refined nature. You tend to be sentimental and are easily moved by beauty. You are interested in unusual concepts and ideas that appeal to your artistic sensibility. Your manner is gentle and kindly. A somewhat retiring person, you prefer the comfort of an obscure corner to the harsh glare of the limelight. Your imagination is powerful. Little incidents and random associations can bring forth waves of sentimentality. The studious side of your nature is awakened. You could develop your psychic and occult leanings. If you appear passive, it may be because you have few demands. You are charitable, sympathetic, and eager to share. The key to a more harmonious existence lies in channeling your gifts of character in such a way that you will not be prey to rougher, exploitative persons.
0: Yeah, no, I can get down <laughs> with that. That's
2: a bit. like, how are we feeling? How think, are we doing? a one-to-one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, I'm feeling uh, brilliant, but emotionally chaotic and that I need to retire to a secure yeah. space away from the I land
2: mean, as yeah. So for me, <laughs> but having a water moon sign, so moon, water is essentially the, the element of emotion. And then to have a water placement in your moon, which is all about emotion, is a lot. It's, a, it's so much. And tell, I'm telling you, I feel for you. And I feel a lot. Um, and so everyone just needs to be real gentle with, with your water moon friends. Um, we, we need it. <laughs> truly um, Accurate. Yes. Accurate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so then your rising is in Scorpio, which so is John's. And so is mine.
4: Holy
2: shit, uh, I need to go. Yes. I need Grab. to go. This call. So, you know, sorry Zoe, <laughs> but we all have a rising in Scorpio, which is so cool to me because honestly, I love it. I love it for myself. I love it for all y'all. Um, but essentially what the rising means, what your ascendant or rising means is it's the mask that you present to the world, but it's also the um, kind of the, lens with which each of your planets is viewed so even if your planet is in a different sign which we'll get into uh if there's time we also you know have to know that there's going to be some scorpio vibes and scorpio is the goth sign of the
4: i was gonna
3: say scorpios do have big goth vibes so i do understand why this call is the way that right. it is so and, <laughs> and i do have scorpio placements as well but not rising
4: right
2: <laughs> so people who have a scorpio rising draw people into such an intense degree uh i don't know if y'all have experienced this but for me it, it can be intense um and it really i think people think of us as enigmas they can't really figure us out. Um, and so they they just decide that that's that's enough intrigue for them for the most part um, can be really dangerous.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Mm.
0: Um. Legit. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Ash, do you want to present your spooky chart or do you want me to?
0: Oh, no, no, no. You you made this thing. It's all you.
3: OK, what's the wait? What? But what did you call it?
0: Oh, this is um, oh my god, what is it? Uh, Halloween store sun, pumpkin, moon, gargoyle, rising. Yeah, but Am I right? Was there, is that you it? You had
3: a name for the chart.
0: Oh no, this is okay, so so um a little a little behind the scenes magic. Zoe and I have been watching the entire uh, series of The Good Witch, a a Hallmark uh, show about a witch who isn't really a witch, she just recommends tea. Yeah, for like, people. Honestly,
3: I wouldn't recommend the show. <laughs>
0: No, I wouldn't either. It's really bad. Um uh, but there's a Halloween episode, and I don't know why this happened, but for some reason, uh I, I think together we forged a Halloween Goodwitch themed Zodiac, which is the uh Zoe Goodwitch astrology system or
3: something okay. like that. Yes, that's what I that's what I needed. My intro. So yeah. So <laughs> so um in the Goodwitch universe ash's son is this guy that runs like a small town halloween store and has very like graphic <laughs> tea like vacation dad vibes but it's just like selling spooky stuff to the town so like yeah that's ash's ego his true self we see it um
1: that really checks out <laughs> hundred, I've, I've never seen the show and yes it does 100% <laughs>
3: And then the moon. So your moon is like, as Laura was saying, like your emotions, like how you see yourself, how you are when you're really comfortable, is a pumpkin, but like specifically, I think a jack o' lantern, possibly come to life. Hmm. Um, <laughs> and this makes sense because also the pumpkin emoji is like what Ash uses to describe himself. So that All is how time. you, yes, that is how you see yourself. <laughs> So that adds up. We get it. And then the rising, which is how you come off to others, is there were the in the episode that this came from, there were these like gargoyles that had to like be part of this puzzle, but also they were like maybe coming to life. So anyway, the rising is a gargoyle come to life. And that makes sense. They're like, you know, you see them as like spooky. They're like decorative, like aesthetics. Um, and then come to life. They're like ready for adventure.
0: This is the most accurate possible summation of my character. Thank
3: you. <laughs> Amazing. So should we, did you want to go into the other planets or should we go to John? Well, I wanted to talk
2: about this next thing because it applies to both of them.
3: Okay, <laughs> So perfect. I figured it no, could be no, a good no. transition. We're going we're to segue Exactly. In. Don't worry, John, you're not getting off easy. Yes,
2: exactly. Um, so... I want to talk about the planet Mercury. Uh, You know, I feel like it's the one that people often know as like Mercury's in retrograde. Uh, What retrograde means is that the planet is transiting backwards across the sky. Um, (laughs) You know, simple, simple things about the stars. But um, essentially Mercury is often interpreted as how we think and communicate. It relates to our mental health and the way we process information. So, um both of you were born under a Mercury in retrograde. And we will get to this, but John was born under four retrogrades. So John, are you okay, honestly? I, I was about to say,
3: are you okay?
2: <laughs> yeah, I have many questions for you, but we're gonna get
3: there. Um <laughs> all
4: right, let's do it.
3: <laughs> Your turn is coming. Oh, so oh dear. uh yeah, I want you guys to know how much research Laura specifically put into this.
1: <laughs> I am, I am just in awe.
3: <laughs> okay,
2: I'm so glad.
1: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you I so loved
2: much I love doing it. Um. So, okay, this so is what we when, do when
3: people invite us on their podcasts.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm not going to not show up, right? Um, so. When you're born under a, a Mercury in retrograde, it changes often what the planet does for us and can either cause us challenges or push us to think about things in more creative ways, which as an Aquarius, that suits you just fine. Um, so as a Mercury in Aquarius, so your Mercury is the same is in the same sign as your sun sign. So um And again, Mercury is how you think, how you process information. It's related to your mental health. So for Ash, you're never one to shy away from a debate and you have strong and sometimes unconventional opinions on a variety of topics.
0: Hmm. <laughs> yeah, no no one here would know anything about that. Yeah, no comment. You
2: enjoy you enjoy hmm. thought-provoking and intellectually stimulating conversations and get a kick out of hmm. mentally sparring with people who challenge you. And because I love
3: John roasting you right now.
2: And because you're a fountain of knowledge, you can usually hold your own in the verbal ring. But when we layer in the layer of retrograde, uh, it's, it's helpful to think about it in ways that, which again, John, your, your communication planet isn't retrograde as well. So this, this astrologer named Janet Booth says, often people born during Mercury and retrograde are in their own mental worlds and have difficulty communicating clearly with others. For instance, they have a conversation in their head, which the other person doesn't know about. Of course, they believe that they said aloud what they were thinking, but they actually did not verbalize it. Or they mishear what someone says because they project their own thoughts onto the person's words or they didn't listen well since they were focused on their inner dialogue. Again, that's a quote from someone else about uh, Mercury being retrograded um, and what it can do to your planet. Um, So, yeah, it might be tough. Communication could be tough for (laughs) y'all. You just w- have to work at it more in an unconventional way.
3: <laughs> I like that. I feel like John's sound effects are really doing the work for us for the roast. Part. Absolutely. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's with, It is all done with the deepest love and affection because I, 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 I think that Ash would agree that that's quite accurate. Sometimes,
2: oh, for sure. I mean, like. Oh yeah. It, I, it's I, it's accurate for those of us that don't have our Mercury retrograded. Sometimes, right? It's just probably more of a challenge for y'all.
3: Yeah. Also,
1: there uh, have been frequent there have been frequent moments on the show where Ash has said something which has genuinely sort of like stunned me into silence. <laughs> for a good I do life. love those moments, <laughs> uh, I, but but those are usually some of our best episodes. Yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Totally. And all of all of our roast come from a place <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We do a whole series of these on the Season of the Bitch Patreon, Mm -hmm. so.
2: So I want to talk about um, an underrated part of our charts, which is called our nodes. Um, So the North Node is meant to be our destiny, and our South Node is, like, where we've come from. So it can represent our childhood or previous lifetimes, depending on your personal beliefs, I guess. Uh, So both of you have the same North and South Node. Um, So your North Node is in Pisces, uh, which compounded with your Pisces Moon probably adds to general sentiments of sensitivity and care. Um,
3: most of those You're who, very watery,
2: yeah. Most very of those boy. who are born with the North Node in Pisces have two jobs and are playing many roles in their lives because this is what's making them happy. They're swimming against the water current and therefore what's socially accepted, benefiting a lot from this attitude. They can sometimes worry too much because they have hidden fears and their faith can be lost. The North node in Pisces in someone's birth chart is suggesting that they're compassionate and have vision and are also capable of leading. It doesn't matter what they're choosing as a career. It's their compassion and intuitive ways that can make them successful. People with this placement should always focus on what their hearts desired, what their heart desires. (laughs) Yeah. Frick yeah, that's your destiny. Be sentimental AF. <laughs> we
1: we, I mean, for the record though, Ash, we have said this. We have said this multiple times on HV that we do not. We do not do. We are not like irony posters. We are not like irony leftists. We are deeply. We are deep. We are deeply sincere <laughs> well, it's in, Pisces in, energy. in what we do. Yeah,
2: your sincere Pisces voice. Yeah, absolutely. You love to see it. Like, is there any other cis man that I would associate with myself? No, there isn't, to be honest. <laughs> um, <laughs> like soft boys to the front in a big way. Um, yeah. Okay, John, we're moving on. <laughs> I'm like trying to get through this. Uh, John, you are a quadruple Gemini.
3: Hey! I'm a quadruple Sag, so we're like full opposite not not opposites, but sister opposite signs. on the on the astrology wheel, they're opposites, so they're sister signs. Yeah. So we have a lot of similar chaos to yes. us.
4: Oh, yes, oh, you're okay.
3: chaotic <laughs> as fuck. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Confirm.
2: Like what, what's going on? Okay, and not only that, but you... you
4: okay, so,
2: so let's talk about the double, double sun and moon in Gemini. So you were born with both the sun and moon in the sign of Gemini. Uh, this indicates, among other things, that your individuality and personality are harmonious. Both positions give you an astute and alert mind. You tire of things easily, but this is not to say that you lack strength. You are drawn to humanistic concerns and would like to see everyone happy and encouraged to express their own views. You see life as any enthusiastic frolic and there's little seriousness in you. You make many friends among intellectuals and literary people and have affiliations with numerous societies and associations. Oh yeah,
4: that makes sense.
2: You are fortunate enough to be involved (laughs) in work and activities that satisfy your inner needs. You read voraciously and can live...
4: (laughs) Um, your
2: intelligence you can live on your intelligence
4: thank Um, you
3: ash i love that yeah Yeah, ash is now doing the sound effects in return it's it's really helping add to like we can tell how true it is based on how you are roasting each
2: other i love it yeah (laughs) so people may criticize you by saying that you are inconsistent and cannot be relied upon fortunately you do possess characteristic consistency there is agreement between what you do and what you feel. You are one of those people who think that all problems in life can be solved through intelligent discussion and reasoning.
1: Uh, I will. I'll see you all in the marketplace. <laughs> by yes,
3: you. yes, the marketplace <laughs> of oh, all. God. Yeah, but it also it makes a lot of sense for your friendship. Both that you have the like Pisces in common. Also, both of your sons are Air signs, which are like. Air signs are like the intellectual, like thinker uh-huh. signs. Uh-huh. So you have like similar vibes in that sense. So it makes sense that you really enjoy like doing this podcast together.
4: Yeah, legit. Absolutely. I like
0: that. That's friendly. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. So
2: the things you, have, the things you have in Gemini are your sun, your moon, Mercury, which is that planet of communication, and your Venus, which is the planet of love.
4: Ooh. Um.
2: So I just want to say that also your sun, moon, and Venus are all in your eighth house. So I'm not going to get into what the houses mean, but essentially it's the lens with which you view each planet. So um, all of those things, the sun, moon, and Venus are all in your eighth house. That means that even though they're in Gemini, they're tinged with Scorpio energy, which like matched with your... Uh, rising, you you got a lot of goth energy because it's the energy of sex, death, mysticism, secrets, and spirituality. So, just like Megan Fox, you can really be chaotically horny and probably with a <laughs> heavier vibe because the eighth house energy is like dark and heavy. Um,
1: I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm I'm very deliberately not so
2: amazing, amazing. <laughs>
3: um so
1: i feel very (laughs) exposed all of a sudden
3: no totally when when i was telling ash we were gonna do this i was like no the roasted part just comes from like the human experience of feeling seen like what we're saying is just facts about astrology but yeah the roast is feeling exposed i
0: mean they're just straight facts at this point
3: (laughs) we we agree (laughs)
0: So how, how are you feeling, John? How are you feeling about what, what you've learned
1: so far? I I am 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 both uh, I- encouraged and ever so slightly terrified at, at <laughs> your power. Um, I I'm very encouraged that this podcast is um, is astrologically compatible. <laughs> it bodes well for it. I like it.
3: Yeah, very much so. Yeah, very much so,
2: John. You also have so many planets in retrograde in your natal chart. So like Ash, your Mercury is retrograded. Um, but also Venus, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto are also retrograding in your like natal chart. I'm
3: scared of
2: that. I know.
3: I know. <laughs> that like deeply concerns me.
2: Oh, I know.
3: So, okay.
4: Oh so
2: we already,
4: okay. we already okay. talked
2: about what... I'm What's bracing right point? now. It's going to be okay. <laughs> um, we already talked about what Mercury and retrograde means in your chart, but let's focus on Venus retrograde because this one deeply impacts your life. Um, only 8% of people born is, have a Venus in retrograde. Um, so, so at
3: least you're special. Yeah.
2: Um, and your <laughs> Venus is in Gemini. So uh, from this year... Uh, May 15th to June 25th. So just recently, um, Venus was retrograding in Gemini. So this may have actually felt like a very powerful time for you romantically um, because it is your home base in terms of Venus. Um, But people with their Venus retrograde can often feel like they have a hard time relating with others in a more intimate way since Venus rules close relationships. They can have a hard time opening up, letting people in, wanting to take their time really connecting with others. But this can lead to a sense of loneliness even when they are in a relationship, especially at a young age. Um, This is definitely a placement that is much more difficult uh, in young years, and it can be better understood with age, maturity, and experience. Um, people who have a Venus retrograde in their natal chart need to work on making sure that they have a healthy sense of security, of self-worth, of self-esteem, and of self-confidence. They're prone to issues with these more than most, and this can lead to all sorts of problems. They're usually found to be less emotional on the outside. However, they are full of mixed emotions and botched up feelings on the inside. Love is very important to them, but they might have trouble... Troubles in expressing the same. They usually have a sense of insecurity in their relationships. Okay, all uh...
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, Carrie. Well, all carry
2: on. I will say is Are you doing okay? Yeah, how are you doing?
1: Uh you know, pretty good. I think I think maybe. I don't know, about like 10 years ago, I would have felt that that was pretty
2: mm-hmm, accurate totally, and pretty totally. true.
3: Hmm. But that's yeah. good. That's good for you, for your personal growth. Like that makes sense.
2: Yeah, We're absolutely. Happy absolutely. Um, so, but just generally Venus and Gemini makes you very social. Um, and, but when it retrogrades, it might make you a bit tight lipped or or closed mouthed or <laughs> however we phrase these things um you you may have the opinion that there is a scarcity in love and intimacy when there is not proper communication which is not always the case um and though you are really committed you might behave a bit detached or aloof in relationships um but again that's a, that's a thing that that fades with age so maybe you just don't you don't have to think about that <laughs>
1: Uh, I, I would I would hope not. <laughs> yes.
2: well the good news is you also have a grand earth trine. So trines are Is that
3: good news?
2: Yes, it is. Trines are very I like well advice because like, you have one too. I do. I have a grand earth trine and a grand water trine. But here's the thing. When you read about them, they're just like these are the things that like No, it's powerful. It it's powerful. very powerful energy. So Yes. People with a grand earth trine have a deep sense of inner security and stability in the physical world. They want to prosper in the material world, possess tremendous organizational abilities and an uncommon amount of common sense. They're creatively resourceful with remarkable endurance and seldom go off course. And their capacity to attract, accumulate and skillfully manage resources is powerfully developed. So I think with your grand trine you're able to overcome this retrograde in a big way because it, it's like saying that you need this um, stability and a grand earth trine does that for you. So that might be why it's not resonating with you as
3: much too. Hmm. Okay. That's what I got. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you for, for really doing the work on, on those Laura. Absolutely. Yeah, this has
1: been so great. Thank you for doing all of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, as i say i feel like i have i i have learned something today uh which um it, it's deeply appreciated so thank you both
4: to receive.
3: Both.
1: thank
4: you <laughs> Aww.
3: yay yay we we love when this is not the first time that a man-hosted podcast has invited us on and we've been like okay but our condition is we get to roast you yeah <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh he says no to that yeah. mean, so, far, so far we're
3: too far yeah
0: <laughs> let's get those numbers up this is fantastic <laughs> yay yay
2: oh,
0: that was so fun okay cool oh yeah cool yeah oh my oh my god like i could i could talk about so much more like we didn't even get into like satanism occult histories like oh man we barely got to the fun stuff yeah. we, it was all business in this episode <laughs> i know yeah but no um yeah thank oh, you like. thank you so much for coming on thank you thank the two of you for, for representing season of the bitch and <laughs> your emissary to the horror yeah. vanguard. thank you
3: thanks for having us
0: um, if you could, if you could just remind our listeners where they can find your podcast, where they can find you on social media, and most importantly, where they can give you money.
3: Sure, they can give us money at patreon.com slash season of the bitch, um, or follow us at season of the bee on Twitter and Instagram, because we've been censored. Um if you would like to follow us personally my twitter is at zonasif that is z-o-n-a-s-e-e-f my venmo is the same if you'd like to send me money it's always an open door um and laura's twitter is at socialist willow all one word in ode to buffy yeah i think that's all
0: Excellent. Well, everyone, make sure to give your money to Season of the Bitch and Zoe specifically. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on and um, having this wild conversation about astrology and also uh, a little bit about Jennifer's body on the side.
3: (laughs) Amazing. Yes. Thanks for having us. That was so good.
0: Thanks for tuning in, creeps. And remember, stay spooky.